0: Thanks for being here today. I'm delighted to have you with us today celebrating and worshiping Jesus uh, this morning. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians chapter number 1 to where we're going to be at this morning, Philippians 1. Currently uh, in the Really the beginning stages of our study of the book of Philippians. Uh, We're about, uh, I don't know, six messages deep in our study of uh, Philippians verse by verse entitled Magnify Jesus. If you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website, HuiCala.church. You can also subscribe to our podcast or uh, my favorite way to stay caught up is the Huicala app. If you never downloaded that, download the Huicala app. You can actually click on the button that says podcast and go to today's message. There's a button where you can follow along with the notes for today. You can fill in the notes in your browser and email them to yourself at the end of that if you want to do that. You can always download the, the notes from our church website as well, print those out when you come, uh, or just bring a blank sheet of paper and write down some thoughts. Whatever you do, take really good notes because you're going to need them later. We've been going through the book of Philippians, just again, a bit of a refresher. Paul started the church at Philippi from scratch uh, and pastored the church for a little while, moved on, and then about 10 years later from prison, he writes a letter back to the church at Philippi, uh, just encouraging them, telling them to, to stay after it, keep with it, and so that's where we find ourselves here today. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, the title for today's message, some people are awful, and that's okay. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, writes here, he says, hey, some people are causing some problems, but no sweat, it's, it's actually not a really that big of a deal, and we'll take a look at why today. Uh, so Philippians uh, chapter 1 this morning, uh, if you would, we're going to start in verse number 12. Last week we took a look at how Paul said, hey, I'm going through some a rough spot right now, but it's okay because the gospel is going to go further, and so we'll start there, and then we'll read through uh, verse number 19 this morning chapter 1, starting in verse number 12, But I would ye understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in other places. Many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein I do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Paul writes here a little bit of a different tone than he takes in other writings that Paul has, as Paul writes to the churches at Galatia, a group of churches in the Galatian region that were infiltrated, False teachers. Man, he is angry, he is upset, and he writes to him and says, "I'm so disappointed that you've gotten called to another gospel so quickly and you've left the true gospel." Immediately off the bat in the book of Galatians, Paul writes and he's upset because uh, they've started messing with the gospel. But here we find Paul saying, "Hey, some people are preaching for Christ and they're not doing it for the right reasons, but that's okay." How do we really balance the difference between that one People are preaching Christ uh, incorrectly, and he's upset. Other groups are preaching with the wrong motives, but he's okay with that. What gives? What's the difference here? We'll take a look and unpack that today. I had the opportunity to travel to el salvador uh, several years ago on a missions trip with my pastor pastor paul chapel and we uh, landed in san salvador and, and gotten into some cars and immediately got out and the the buses there are kind of privatized uh, bus system that they have and so uh, the, all these buses are decorated differently and I, I was immediately struck because there was a beautiful brightly colored bus that had been painted a uh, custom and it said jesus on the side of it and i thought Man, how awesome is that? Like a bus that says Jesus and people are getting on it and going to work and being dropped off at their houses. Man, then another bus came by and had a big cross on the side of it. I thought, "Man, a, a country like this that loves Jesus. The the name El Salvador literally in Spanish means the savior and so I thought, "Man, what an amazing people of just love the Lord the way that we do. And then the same buses on the other side would have a picture of the Virgin Mary praying and they'd have a rosary down the other side. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. I think the Jesus that they're talking about is not the Jesus of the Bible, which is a Jesus of grace. They're speaking of a Jesus of works. They're, they're not venerating Jesus Christ and worshiping him. They're venerating the Virgin Mary. Oh, this is not good at all. And so now there became a lot of confusion. When these people say that they love Jesus, do they speak of the Jesus of the Bible or do they speak of another Jesus? Paul here in this case here says, "Hey, these people are speaking of Jesus and it's okay." But in uh, the book of Galatians, he says these people are preaching Jesus but not the right way. So, how do we discern the difference? You and I need to be discerning Christians. Uh, Paul, as he wrote to them in verse number eleven, says, uh, "Hey, church, I want you to grow in love and that you would grow in knowledge and judgment. I want you to be discerning. I don't want you to just give everybody who names the name of Jesus a pass." How do we know the difference? Some people have also misinterpreted this passage of Scripture where Paul says, hey, some people are preaching Christ of strife and envy, and that's okay. I'm just thankful that Jesus is being preached. And they've misapplied this passage to say, hey, everybody who names the name of Jesus automatically gets a pass. So we shouldn't call out false teachers. We shouldn't call out false gospel. Uh, We should just say, hey, Jesus is being preached, and that's okay. That's not what Paul's saying here. So we need to unpack exactly what it means. Now, To help you understand and kind of set a foundation for where we're going with this, I want you to first of all understand that God is not a pragmatist. Pragmatism says the end justifies the means. It doesn't matter how you get the end result, just get it done. That's the idea of pragmatism, that the the end justifies the means. It doesn't matter how you get the result, just get the result. And as you can imagine, pragmatism has very, very dangerous consequences. For example, if you say things like, hey, I want you, uh, as a salesperson, to meet a quota of sales. I don't care how you meet the quota, just meet it. Well, if the, the end justifies the means, then we can have nefarious purposes behind what we do. When you say things to, uh, for example, like police officers, hey, I want you to get a quota of X number of citations in a given uh, time period. They might go through nefarious ways to get those citations and meet that particular quota that they have. If the goal is just that, that at the end of the day we want more people to hear about Jesus, we don't care how they do it, we could go about any means that we want to do it. Hey, pack out the Blaisdell next Sunday for our church uh, seven-year anniversary, which is next Sunday. Put on your calendar. Don't miss it. We could pack out the Blaisdell next week. All we'd have to do, give away 10 Cadillac Escalades must be present to win. Man, we'll pack the whole joint out. But does the end justify the means? In God's eyes, it never does. So God doesn't want us to just make Jesus known, don't care how you do it. The end does not justify the means with God. God has a specific way that he wants things done, and he wants it done his way. And if you do things God's way, the end results will be exactly what you want. Keep your finger here in Philippians. We're going to come back in just a sec. But turn over the book of Numbers, if you would. Numbers chapter twenty. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, then Numbers. Numbers chapter twenty is where we'll be at. Moses has taken the children of Israel and led them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them out into uh, the wilderness. And basically, they're wandering around. Uh, Because they can't go into the promised land yet because God says everybody's got to die off first. Fascinating story. You should read it. But they find themselves in the middle of the wilderness, again, without food, without water. They begin to gripe. They begin to complain. Numbers chapter 20 is where we find ourselves. They're out there. They're hungry. They're thirsty. uh, Their kids are crying. They got nothing to eat. They got cattle who has nothing to eat. Numbers chapter 20, verse number 4. Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die here? And wherefore, why have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? Is there no place for seed or figs or vines or pomegranates? Is there's any water to drink? Hey, There's not even any fruit out here. There's, there's nothing to eat out here. There's nothing to drink out here. We got cattle. We got kids. Verse number six, Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather the assembly together, Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water. Instructions, very clear. Speak to the rock, it's going to give you water. And thou shalt bring forth them water out of the rock, so then thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. Hey, Moses, take your rod, go out there, talk to the rock, water's going to come out, everybody's going to drink, and they're going to be happy. Just do that. Verse number nine. And Moses took before him the rod from before him as he as he had commanded him. Verse number 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? <laughs> Not really the attitude that God had. God wanted to do a miracle so that God would be glorified, but Moses wanted the, the, the accolades for this. Moses wanted the, the pat on the back for this. And he goes so far as to chastise. Hey, you bunch of knuckleheads, gather around. Me and Aaron's got some water for you guys. Everybody gather around. Bunch of rebels. Verse number 11. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smote the rock twice. He hit it twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Huh. God should speak to the rock. Moses hit it twice, but water still came out. End result was exactly the same. Everybody got something to drink. God did a miracle. Everything's fine, right? Because the end justified the means, but not to God. Verse number 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I've given unto them. Hmm. Moses, you didn't listen, and because of that, you never get to go to the promised land. Moses was leading them on a 40-year journey into the promised land. And God says, Moses, you didn't listen. You can't go into the promised land now. That's heavy. For 40 years, Moses is going to put up with these people. Four decades leading them to this place. And God says, you disobeyed, and you don't get to go into the, to the promised land. Now, if you know the story, God took, Mo, took Moses up to a mountain where he saw the promised land, but his foot would never touch the promised land because he disobeyed God. Now, I've everybody got water. What was the big deal? The big deal was he didn't obey God. And so, again, we cannot say, well, these people are disobeying God, but the, the name of, they call themselves Christians, so that must be okay. This church over here promotes a false doctrine, but they call themselves Christians, and they're using the name of Jesus, so that's okay. That is not what Paul's saying here, because God doesn't say that the end justifies the mean. God desires worship from a pure heart. God wants us to worship him above all else. He doesn't call on us to get results. He doesn't call on us to get our way. He doesn't call us to do what we think is best. God calls us to worship and obedience. You see, we live in a society today where people have taken a pragmatic approach to life. Hey, I just want what I want. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get it. If you want success, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach that success. Regardless of what it means for my family, regardless of what it means for my walk with God, I want success. I've seen people before take jobs that would put them away from their family for years at a time, because it will advance their career. Hey, look, the end does not justify the means. I've seen people before take jobs where they never see their family, because they make more money, and they say, "Well, oh, I want to take care of you. your family." Doesn't want your money; they want your time. Oh, but but you know what? I get in the end will end up making what I did okay, okay. I see single adults trying to get the end result that they want, a spouse, yet neglecting God's path towards that. (laughs) What you're going to end up getting is not what you want. I've seen girls use their body as a way to try to catch a man, to to be with them sexually so that they can nab a guy to be their spouse. Hey, look, uh, just a little uh, note for you guys and gals. When you put out the meat, the only thing that you catch are flies. The type of guy that you're going to attract by giving him your body is not the type of guy you want to spend the rest of your life with. Mark that down. So do things God's way. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God, and you'll attract the right type of person. Know this. A man of God wants a woman of God. A woman of God wants a man of God. So be the person God wants you to be, and you'll attract the right type of person. Follow God's plan. Follow God's process, and the end result will be what you're looking for. That's what God's Word says. But God cares deeply about our motives and the intents of our heart. God cares deeply about why we do what we do. God cares deeply about us following him out of heart of worship and obedience. Psalm 24, verse number three says it this way, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Samuel, first Samuel verse, uh, chapter number 16. Saul has sinned against God. God says, I want you to kill everybody, everything. Saul doesn't. Saul keeps back some for himself. He disobeys God, and God says, I've taken my hand of blessing off you. You'll no longer be king. He says to Samuel, Samuel, I want you to go anoint a new king. Samuel goes and gets Jesse and says, Jesse, bring all your boys. I'm going to anoint the new king. And he looks and he goes, oh, this guy's tall. He's good looking. Probably had a beard. This guy looks like a king. I'm just checking to see if you're still awake this morning. This guy, definitely a king. Samuel goes, that's not him. That's not this guy either. Hey, Jesse, you got any other boys? Well, I got another boy, but he's David. He's off taking care of sheep. He's, He's not the guy. No, bring him here. And God says, yeah, that's him. That's the next king. And Samuel anoints David as the next king of Israel. And here's what, God says in 1 Samuel, verse number 16. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I've refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God sees our heart, and God knows when you're faking it, God knows when you're putting on a show. God knows when you show up on a Sunday morning when you're with your freshly pressed clothes and your Bible in your hand saying, Amen, praise the Lord, when you haven't cracked that Bible in six months. God knows all of that. And God's not impressed with a show. God is pleased with obedience. God is pleased with holy worship. And at the end of the day, God desires full obedience, not results. God's not looking for the big, flashy results, He's looking for obedience a man by the name of Jeremiah it was a prophet the children of Israel had turned their back on God and God says Jeremiah I want you to go and I want you to tell everybody to turn around and turn their ways around I want you to challenge them to come back to me to repent of their sin here's the thing Jeremiah nobody's going to listen Like nobody you're going to preach your guts out and people are going to make fun of you they're going to mock you they're going to put you down nobody's going to listen I just want you to do it though that's why Jeremiah is sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet. Because he preached his guts out and nobody would listen. Jeremiah had to get them to obey. God would handle the results. If you Take a look at the story of Jonah. Jonah saw an entire city come to faith in Christ and he was mad about it because he didn't get his way. But God got the end result that he just needed Jonah's obedience. God's the same way with you and I. God doesn't need what gifts, talents, and abilities we think we can bring to the table. God needs our heart of worship and obedience. That's all he needs from us. So Paul's not saying here, hey, a false gospel's okay. Here's the thing. Paul does not excuse false teaching at all. Now, when Paul speaks of these other teachers, he's saying they're preaching Jesus. So for everything that we know, based on what we can see in Scripture, they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the real Bible. They're preaching Jesus Christ. For everything that we can tell. Paul never, ever, ever gives a pass to false teachers, ever. The book of Galatians, again, he writes and says, hey, these people are teaching a false gospel. They gotta go. The book of 2 Corinthians, which was actually Paul's fourth letter to the church at Corinth, the church he had pastored, 2 Corinthians, he writes to them and says, hey, there's false teachers in the church and they gotta go. You guys gotta get rid of them because there's no place for doctrinal error, false teaching in the family of God in the church of God. So Paul's not saying here, these people are false teachers, but they can't claim Jesus, so that's okay. We as a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church must earnestly contend for the faith, the book of Jude says, we have to stand for solid Bible doctrine. We have to stand against false teaching. We gotta call garbage what it is. Now we can do it in love. We can do it with a good attitude. We gotta stand for truth. When someone says that Jesus Christ came to deliver you from poverty so that you can be wealthy, we need to say that's garbage. That's not the gospel. Jesus Christ came so that you would no longer get sick. We say that's garbage. That's not the gospel. Jesus came to make you, your life, so easy. That's garbage. That's not the gospel. Paul didn't say, oh, they're talking about Jesus. I think that's no, no, no. He would always call out false teaching. The book of Galatians was written to combat false teaching because they were messing with the primary doctrine of Christianity, the doctrine of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for sinners. You begin to mess with that you're messing with the wrong thing. The gospel is so precious to us as Christians. It, the, the gospel says that we deserve to die because we're sinners. We've all sinned against God. Every single one of us deserves God's wrath and judgment. Every single one of us deserves to go to hell when we die because we've broken God's law. But God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And you must come to a place in your life where you accept that fact. Jesus died for me. You accept the fact that you cannot save yourself and you're willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. I was a nine-year-old boy when I was saved. I recognize I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law. I need to be forgiven And Jesus is the only way. And as a nine-year-old boy, I said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your law. I know I deserve to go to hell. But I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save me. And that day, I was born again. That's really important because Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's the only way that you can be saved. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus says, I'm the only way to heaven we will fight for that message until we die. If we call ourselves Bible-believing Christians, we will stand for that, and we will stand against error. Any church that comes along that says, this church can provide salvation, we will say, that is not true, that is false. But let's say, for example, there's a church that's a little bit different than us. They still preach Jesus. Maybe they're more a little bit more relaxed in their philosophy, more relaxed in their style, but they're preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They might sing, sing some songs that I'm not fond of. Their preacher might look like he uh, uh, walked through the dressing room at Hot Topic, um, you know. They might do things a little bit differently than we would do, but if they're preaching Jesus, you know what I would say? Hey, keep preaching Jesus. If people are coming to faith in Christ, people are being discipled and being committed Christians, we can say, hey, brother, keep after it. Keep up the good fight. Keep preaching Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Some people are preaching Jesus. Some of it's hurtful to me. Some of it's from the wrong motives. But they're preaching the gospel, and as long as they continue to do that, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be thankful for it. I'm going to go forward. That's what Paul's saying. He never, ever excuses false teaching. He never excuses messing with the gospel. So we, as Bible-believing Christians, will continue to call out false teaching every single opportunity that we get, because false teaching sends people to hell. Paul also does not excuse those who would be harmful to the cause of Christ. I've known people. I've known people. I've known pastors. I've known churches before that are gun barrel straight on doctrine, salvation, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. But they're hateful they're vile, they're ugly, they hate unbelievers, they hate certain groups of people, the speech that comes from their mouth is hateful speech. And I can look at that and go, that's not me, that's not Christ, that's not Christian Christianity that I know, that's not the Bible. So Paul doesn't excuse those who would be harmful to the cause of Christ. He doesn't give a pass to those who would hurt the name of Jesus Christ. And when anybody stands in a pulpit and say that the death of homosexuals is something to be celebrated, hey, friend, you don't understand the gospel. That's harmful to Christianity. That makes Christians look bad. That makes Jesus look bad. And we will repudiate people who say hateful, hurtful, ugly, things like that because Jesus Christ was full of grace and he's full of truth. He didn't have a problem saying what needed to be said because he was full of truth. He had no problem being kind, loving, compassionate, merciful, and gracious because he was also full of grace. So Paul doesn't give a pass to false teachers. He doesn't give a pass to people that are harmful to the cause of Christ. But here's what Paul does do. He excuses those whose motives might be suspect. He says in verse number, go back to Philippians 1 if you would. He says in verse number 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Envy means that you want something that somebody else has and, and you have a, a, a ill will towards them because of it. Paul's saying, I think maybe there's people who are jealous of me and, and, and what I had. There's other people who preach Christ because they want to stir up strife. They want to create problems. They want to create drama. And he says, but at the end of the day, they're preaching Jesus and I can't argue with that. You see, it's very difficult for us to judge someone's motives. I can't see your heart. All I can see is what's going on. And so Paul says, they're preaching Jesus out of envy and strife, and but Jesus is being preached, so I guess I'm going to be okay with that. And, you know, they're, they're, they're preaching Jesus in a way that would be harmful to me, but I'm okay with that. But at the end of the day, Jesus is being preached. And so Paul does, he doesn't judge anybody's motives. Now this is a good po- time to pause for and say, that verse that we talked about from 1 Samuel, verse number 16, where it says, God looks on the heart, but man looks on the outward appearance. Sometimes people use that verse incorrectly to say, hey, I know I'm a foul-mouthed, gossiping, ugly, carnal, sinful Christian, but God knows my heart. You ever heard me say that before? Well, you can't judge me. God knows my heart. The Bible says that God looks on my heart, yeah. But it also says man looks on the outward appearance. And what I'm seeing from what I see in your life is not good. That Maybe God does know your heart, but what I see on the outside is not helpful to the cause of Christ. Jesus went so far as to say this, a good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Now, it's important to understand, too, as, as Christians, it's not our job to be fruit inspectors. I'm not sitting here looking at your life with a pair of binoculars going, oh, looks like that, that apple. A little bit brown right there. I'm not sure about that. Not my job to do that. But he says this, your fruit's going to show. And so Paul says, what I can see, I don't like, but at the end of the day, I don't know their heart. So if they're lifting up Jesus, they're preaching the gospel, I'm going to be for them. They're pastors that I believe are probably in the pastoring business for the wrong reason. But at the end of the day, I can't judge their motives. And if they continue to preach Jesus, I'm going to be okay with that. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul also excuses those who have a personal issue with him. Verse number 16, he says, The one preached Christ of contention, not, sincere, not sincerely supposing to add afflictions to my bonds. Paul says some people are preaching Jesus in such a way that would be personally hurtful to me while I'm here in prison. Now, we don't really know what exactly that looks like. We don't know exactly what people were saying that would have been personally hurtful to Paul. You know why? Because Paul doesn't make it about himself. Paul's not. This is not the Paul pity party. That was alliterated. Did you like that? Paul's pity party. It's not that. It's not. It's not Paul says it's not about me. Some people are preaching Christ in such a way that's actually personally hurtful to me. And Paul says that's okay. But it's not about me. So Paul doesn't turn a blind eye to false teaching. He doesn't turn a blind eye to those that would be harmful to the cause of Christ. But people whose motives might be suspect or people that are trying to hurt him personally, but they're still preaching Jesus, he says, hey, go ahead. I'm good with that. Now, it's important to understand that people will be people, but the Lord is the righteous judge. Take a look at verse number 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. People have different motives. People do different things for different reasons and people are just people. But at the end of the day, the Lord is the righteous judge. Grieved at the state of our nation right now. Grieved. In my lifetime, I've never seen so much drama, division, strife, arguing, baiting people into arguments. And I can't discern if it's things are worse than they've ever been or things are more widely reported than they've ever been. I don't know which is the which. You know? The fact that every single time you open your device, whether it's the, your social media feed or the mass media feed, it's all garbage. And I don't know if the world's getting worse, which the Bible tells us that we're we'll, not surprised by that, or if we're just more aware of how terrible human beings are. But this week, to see on the news and see in social media, people who call themselves Americans calling for the death of our own president, that's not right, folks. Look, we've had terrible presidents before. But I can't remember a single time where everyone, anyone has ever called for the death of their own president, ever. But people do it flippantly today. It just goes to show the depravity of man's sinful heart. That wasn't a political statement. The Bible says that we should pray for those who have rule over us. The Bible also tells us that the Lord sets up the king. He sets one up and puts the other to the side. The promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. Promotion comes from the Lord. The Bible says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. That whoever gets elected president, God's got a plan that's bigger than our plans. God's got a plan that's bigger than the next political party's plan. And God doesn't need a certain person in office to accomplish His will. And so, just stop. We as Christians have an obligation to show the grace and love of Jesus Christ to this world. And we live in a a terrible time right now. And this is an opportunity for Christians to shine even brighter in the midst of darkness. Even brighter. Right now, there are Christians that are getting a terrible name for Christians. Shame on them. Shame. This is the time for us as Christians to say, hey, I don't agree with you politically or ideologically, but I love you, and I'm going to pray for you. Hey, I don't know who's going to be elected the next president of the United States, but I'm going to pray for them and pray that they would be saved and pray that they would govern with godly wisdom and that God would surround them with people that would protect us. That's what I can do. Look, anybody can get in an argument. Anybody can be ugly. God's asking for us to be different. Here's the thing. God can use anything to get himself glory. Anything. And Paul's saying, hey, people are preaching Jesus for different reasons. But that's okay. God's got a plan and all that. I'm not sweating it. Last week, we took a look at verse number 11. You know, he says, hey, some things have happened to me, but don't sweat it. The gospel's going further than it's gone before because of the things that's happened to me. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Several weeks ago, somebody sent me a, a news article. I didn't see it. And I, don't, I try not to watch the news because it just depresses me. Uh, but they uh, they sent me a, a, a news article and asked me what I thought about it as a pastor. And evidently, the, the president had walked over to some church and had taken a Bible and held it up and had his picture made with it. And the Bible was upside down and people were making fun of that. And then people were calling him out for holding the Bible and all this other stuff. And they said, as a, as a pastor, and as a Christian, what do you think about that? Hmm. Well, let me say this. First of all, I believe our president needs to be saved. He he's Jesus. I and mean, if some people say, "Well, oh, he's confessed that he is a Christian, then he needs to live like a Christian, period. But I'm going to continue to pray for him. I'm thankful that we have a president who wasn't ashamed to hold a Bible. I'm thankful for that. I'm disappointed that the Bible was used almost as a prop for a photo op. I'd be less thankful that he got his picture with it, more thankful if he would read it and apply it, you know. And again, these aren't political statements. I'm not trying to say what side I'm on or anything like that. So if you're trying to read the tea leaves, read it for what it is. Somebody asked me what I thought about it. Here's what I think about it. And you know what that had the opportunity for me to do? This is a person who's not a member of our church, is not not even a professing Christian, asked me what I thought about it as a Christian, as a pastor. You know what it gave me the opportunity to do? To talk about how to be saved, who needs to be saved, how real Christians live, what the Bible is for, what the Bible is not for. How the bible will change our lives if we'll read it and apply it to our lives and it gave me the opportunity to share my faith with somebody i look at that i say when now you want to list 10 things that were wrong with that i could give you a list of 50 things that were wrong with it you see everybody's response to to what happened with that i can name 50 things that were wrong with that but i'm looking for ways that we can make jesus's name greater i'm looking for ways to get into a conversation about the gospel you want to sit in politics and debate listen to talk radio or watch fox news or cnn You want to talk about Jesus? Man, that's where I'm trying to go with this. I'm looking for an opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus, not looking for an opportunity to lift up a political candidate or, or lift up myself or lift up my beliefs or my ideologies. I'm looking for ways to make Jesus known. And here's the thing, God's purposes will not be thwarted. Paul says, I just wanted the gospel to go forward. And some people are doing the work and I'm thankful for that. Paul says, God has a bigger plan than what Paul has in mind. Understand, Paul was called by God to start churches and to preach the gospel. He did those things, and he wound up in jail. He could say, well, I'm not really sure how all this happened. You know, I was supposed to start churches and preach the gospel. I did that, and I got put in jail. What is God doing? No, no, he didn't do that. He didn't sit and wonder what was going on. He didn't sit and feel sorry for himself. You know what he did? Hey, somebody give me something to write on. The Holy Spirit's moving me. I got something to say. And you know what he did? He began to pen parts of the Bible under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He didn't sit around and feel sorry about himself. He didn't name any names here of people who made him feel bad. He just says, hey, God's got a bigger plan in this than what you and I have. I wouldn't have chosen to wind up in prison, but here I am, and I'm going to continue to preach Jesus. And I'm thankful that other people are preaching him too. Isaiah 46.10 says, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times to the things that are are not yet, done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. God says, I'm going to do what I want and I don't necessarily need your help. People are going to do things. People are going to say things. People are going to act in certain ways that appear to go against God's rule and against God's plan. And God says, that's okay. I got a bigger plan at play here. You and I will have things happen to us that we don't understand, that we cannot understand, that we don't feel good at the time, but God says it's okay. I got a bigger plan in play here. Things will happen in our lives that go against what we think God's doing. God says, don't sweat it. I got a bigger plan than what you can see because God is sovereign. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. I want you to to listen up. Live for the glory of God, not the praise of man. We live in a society today where people want so badly to be liked, to fit in, to make a name for themselves. And they have made the praise of man their end goal. Don't live like that. Live for the glory of God. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 25 says this. The fear of man bringeth a snare, means it's a trap. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You're trying to live for what this world deems is appropriate or what this world deems is popular, please understand that is a moving target. And if you're trying to hit that, just know you're going to be disappointed every time because it doesn't last. I remember when I was a kid. I was a Michael Jackson fan when I was a kid. Right? I wanted more than anything in the world to grow my hair long in the back and get it permed. I did. I was like seven, but I thought it was cool. And my mom said no. And so I went and asked my dad. Dad, I want to get my grow my hair long and get a perm just in the back, also known as the permed mullet. You know what my dad said? Son, men don't get perms. What? You kidding me? No, if you have a perm, uh, talk to my dad about it. That's what he said. Uh, but I couldn't do it. But you know what I did do? I got myself the zipper jacket, you know, with all the zippers all over it. Mine was red. I had parachute pants. If you don't know what parachute pants is, it's out with extra zippers on them. Oh, man. You know why? Because I wanted to be cool. Here's the thing. If I rolled up this morning with a permed mullet, a zipper jacket, and parachute pants, you guys would be like, Pastor, what's going on? Everything okay? Like, October, Halloween yet, you know? You know why because that was really really cool like 35 years ago not so cool today i would have gotten so much praise from a permed mullet 35 years ago so much praise but here's the thing the praise of man is a moving target to receive the praise of man now i'm gonna have to compromise on things that are dear to me i can't say the things that who i really am because I'm worried about the praise of men. That's why the Bible says the praise of man is a trap; it's a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord, he is safe. How about this? Live for the glory of God and God's approval, and stop worrying about what other people think. That'll set you free. To to see the things that people post on social media and the pain that they must go through to frame a perfect picture exactly the way that they want to. I watched a couple of YouTube videos people sent me about these. Uh, you know, social media influencers and all the work that they go through for the purpose of sure. Heavens. Just enjoy life. Don't worry about what other people think. Stop living for social media approval. Stop living for the approval of others. Stop worrying about what your coworkers think or what your neighbors think, about what kind of car you drive, or where you live, or what school you go to. Just live for Jesus. You'll never be disappointed. And here's the thing. Being a man of God 35 years ago looks exactly like being a man of God today. And a guy who's living for Jesus today, nobody looks at that and goes, that's embarrassing, look at that, that went out of style 35 years ago. No, it's been in style for 2,000 plus years. Because it's timeless. The praise of man is a moving target. So Paul's saying, I'm not living for other people to think that I'm somebody. I'm not living for pats on the back. I'm not living so that other people will think that Paul's somebody. And if people want to talk trash about me, people want to be hurtful towards me, that's fine. As long as Jesus is being made famous, I'm okay with that. Paul says in verse number 19, for you know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of our spirit of Jesus Christ. Hey, I know the Holy Spirit's going to minister to me, and in the end, God's going to be the righteous judge, and I'm going to get out of all this one way or another in the end, and I'm thankful for that. And Paul teaches us that we can rejoice at the good that comes from every situation. This might not be what I've chosen, but God's doing something, and I'm willing to see what that is. I might not have wanted to be here, but this is where God put me, and so I'm just going to rejoice at that. (laughs) Funny thing, um, I remember almost to the day, I want to say it was July 15th of 2003, Angela and I stood at the Honolulu International Airport with all of our belongings piled in the back of somebody's van who dropped us off at the airport, leaving Honolulu. And I could take you to the the terminal that they dropped us off at. And when we pulled the bag out of the last bag out of the back of their van, Angela looks at me and she says, "Do you think we'll ever come back here again?" And I said, "Nope, never." I mean, 101 things to do on Oahu, we did them all. We checked them all. It's done, you know. We lived here for for over four years. We did everything we wanted to do. We saw everything we wanted to see. Done. Moving on with life. What's next? And and she goes, Yeah, me too. I don't really have any desire to ever come back here. Me neither. Done. Moving on. Almost 10 years to the day, July 2013, we fly back here, load up in a van, this time for good. Moving back here. This is where God wants us to be. October 2013, we started Who We a Baptist Church from scratch. Very first service. You know why? Because this is where God wants us to be. The one where I would choose to be. I'm 5,000 miles away from my nearest family member. I I don't know a lot of people here. When we moved back here, we knew almost no, no one here in this city. But it's where God wanted us to be, and we said, "Hey, we're going to make the best of this situation because it's where God wants us to be." And here, here's the thing. You know what this place is now? This is home for us. I never say, like, oh, I'm going to go home and visit family. Home's here. People say, are you going home for Christmas? I'm already home. This, this is home for me. Hey, where are you from? I grew up in Kentucky, but I'm from here. I haven't lived in Kentucky since I was 18. That's not home. This is home. You know why? Because we chose to make this home. And look, here's the thing. People can find anything in the world to gripe about if you want to. Anything. Oh, it's beautiful weather outside today. Man, it's sunny, nice. Feel the sun on your skin. It has been so hot this week. Thursday, I sweated through my shirt. Oh, it was so disgusting. I was standing in line at Safeway, and the guy in front of me, his pits were just dripping and dripping. Oh, it's so disgusting to live here. find something wrong in anything. Well, it's better than cold weather. No, cold weather you can bundle up. If you're just hot, you just have to stay hot. Okay, well, if you're going to be hot anywhere, you can be hot in Hawaii. Yeah, in the middle of the ocean with nowhere to go under strict communist rule where you have to give your contact information to eat a meal somewhere. Come on. Find anything to gripe about. Don't be that person is what Paul says. Some people are preaching Jesus and they're finding drama in preaching Jesus. I'm not sweating that because it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. So stop living for what other people think or trying to make other people happy. Live and try to make Jesus happy because one day you're going to have to stand before God and your neighbor, your coworker, your boyfriend, your girlfriend's not going to stand there before God one day with you. It's just going to be you. And the only person that you're going to care in that moment what they think is going to be almighty God. So live like that today, not 30 years from now. Because at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's all about Jesus Here's a second thought that I hope will help you. The only person you can change is you. I've spent so much time in my life trying to change other people, and you know what? It never works. Because I can't change anybody else. Lasting change comes about with the Holy Spirit doing a work in someone's heart. That's it. I can get people to change their behavior. I can get people to change the things that they say, but I can't change somebody's heart. Only God can do that. I can't change my kids. I can point them towards righteousness. I can create boundaries in their life that will keep them on the right track. But at the end of the day, I can't change them. I need God to change their heart. At the end of the day, I can't change anybody but myself. Paul couldn't change these people who were preaching Jesus from wrong motives. The only thing he could change is himself. And he was okay with that. Hey, look, some people are doing some things that I wouldn't do. That's okay if, if Jesus is being lifted up. But at the end of the day, I can't change my spouse. I can't change my kids. I can't change my neighbor. I can't change my coworker. But I can change me. So I'm going to look into God's word because God's word acts like a mirror for us. It shows us where we're deficient. It shows us where we're wrong. It shows us what we need to fix. I'm going to look into God's word and allow God's word to change me. Next. I can't always change my circumstances, but I can always choose my response. Paul couldn't have gotten out of prison if he had wanted to. He's stuck. He could not change his circumstances. See what he said? I can't change where I'm at, but I can choose joy. That's what I'll do. I can't change the fact that I'm locked, chained to a Roman guard, that I'm waiting to be brought up on trumped up charges for preaching the gospel I can't change any of that, but I can choose joy. People are saying hurtful things about me. People are trying to use the word of God as a way to bring hurt to me while I'm locked up in prison. But I'm letting that pass. I'm going to let that slide right over me. Now, notice I say here that you can't always change your circumstances. Some of you need to change your circumstances. Maybe you're in a toxic relationship or you have toxic friendships with people that bring you down or hurt your faith. Maybe you need to cut that off and move forward. Some of you have willingly gotten into situations that have caused drama in your life. Don't be that. Get yourself out of it. But sometimes you're in a situation where you don't have a lot of control over it. You can't change your boss, you can't change your coworkers. You can't change the toxic relationship that you have with with people at work or the toxic work environment. What you can do is you can choose to have joy. You can choose to find the good in circumstances and praise the good. You can always change your attitude. Proverbs 25, verse number 21 says this, If your enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Hey, look, somebody's doing you wrong, do them right. The Bible says that we shouldn't reward somebody evil for evil. But the Bible says, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Don't give people what they deserve. Give people better than they deserve. That's called grace. That's what you got. Man, I'm so thankful God didn't give me what I deserve. I'm so glad God didn't give me what's coming to me. God says, no, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm gonna give you forgiveness. I'm gonna give you a family. I'm gonna give you love. I'm gonna give you acceptance. I'm gonna give you eternal life. I'm gonna give you my son. I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you the promises of my word, not because you deserve it, but because I'm gracious. Man, I wanna be gracious like that. I can choose to be gracious. People are unkind to me. I can choose to be gracious back. People say hurtful things about me. I can choose to be gracious. I can tell you right now, I don't have a single solitary enemy in this world. Not, no person that I would wish harm upon, nobody that I would wish bad things would happen to him. Nobody that if I saw at the grocery store, I'd turn around and walk the other way. Now that being said, I got a list of probably a dozen people who hate my guts, <laughs> but I got a ill will towards them. That's what the Bible means when it says live peaceably with all men. Hey, from my end of the table, everything's cool. I Man, if I saw him at, at at Safeway, I would give him an air high five t- today. I'd give them a hug if I could, but I can't. So I just give them an air high five. I got no problem with them. You know why? Because I've chosen my response. People have have told lies about me, told lies about our church, told lies about my family, said hurtful things about my family. But you know what I've chosen to do? God's going to handle that. that. You know why? Final thought this morning. We cannot allow the actions of others to steal our joy. Not going to do it. Nope and for' taking notes and I recommend that you do right out beside that protect my joy at all costs. because know this, the devil can't steal your salvation but he can steal your joy. A terrible boss can't steal your salvation but he can steal your joy a terrible marriage relationship. Can't steal your salvation, but it can steal your joy. And just let me aside here. If you're in a terrible marriage relationship, ask for help. Because there's always hope in Jesus Christ. Everybody goes through difficult times in marriage, you just can't stay there. There's hope. Let's steal my joy. Paul's in prison. He did what he was supposed to, and he got locked up for it. Can steal his joy. He writes letters and says, hey guys, I think about you, I pray for you, so happy for you, I love you, thankful for your partnership in the gospel. Don't worry about Paul. The things that have happened to me, they've actually worked out better so that the gospel can go forward. Hey, because of what's happened to me, people are more bold now when they share their faith. They're more bold when they preach about Jesus. And some people preach Jesus with the wrong motives, the wrong intentions. Some people even preach Jesus trying to hurt me, but you know what? As long as Jesus' name is being made famous, I'm okay with that because it's not about me. Because at the end of the day, I know the Holy Spirit's going to work in me to bring about something that's really, really good, and I'm okay with that. That's what Paul says. He says, uh-uh, you're not going to get my joy. I'm in it. My joy's on lockdown. So, do you have joy? Let me just tell you this. A Christian without joy shouldn't be. I get it, you got problems, I got problems. I get it. you got difficulty, I got difficulty. Your problems are probably worse than my problems. Your difficulty might be worse than my difficulty. That's fine, but you can still have joy. The guy who's facing death, he says, it's good. I'm not sweating it. God's in control. Choose joy. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, friend, please don't hit the double doors in the back until you know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Because Jesus died to set you free from your sin. He died for you so that you don't have to pay a penalty for your sin, so that you can go to heaven when you die, so that you don't have to go to hell, so that you can be forgiven, so you can be adopted into the family of God. He did all that because he loves you and he wants to save you from your sin. And so if you're here today and you've never been saved, please don't leave until you know for sure that you're saved. See, service, we're going to have a guy sit down with a guy, a lady sit down with a lady and go through the not how to be a Baptist not how to join our church not how to be catechized or baptized or uh, anything else but to know for sure that you are saved and your sins are forgiven but those of us that are saved man difficulties going to come people are going to be awful bad things are going to happen but you just got to say hey it's part of God's plan I'm not sweating this I just want Jesus to be known When people look at me and go, man, I don't know how you can be so calm in the middle of all this, you can say, man, the Holy Spirit and God at work in me has given me such a peace and such a calm that I'm able to walk through this with great hope. That's what it means to make Jesus look good in suffering. And whatever happens with me, I'm not sweating that as long as the name of Jesus can go forward. What happened to me might not be favorable in in the things that I wanted, but as long as Jesus' name can go forward, I'm good with that. It's not really about me. It's all about Jesus. Let's live to make Jesus famous this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.